human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from very sunny Fountain Hills, Arizona. I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us today. If you haven't, go to the Self-Improvement blog, take a look at the picture in the bio, look at the video for today's guest. Uh, You might want to wait until after the show to do that because we have something so good for you today. Now and then I come across something that's so good that I have to share it with you. I want to tell you iPhone users about a really great app called Simply Zen. Simply Zen is an elegant, really content-rich mindfulness app that does not cost you an arm and a leg. It's for people who want to develop and grow a mindfulness habit without having expensive subscription fees. You pay for it once, small fee, and all the features and upgrades are yours for life. And here's the really good news. Now listen up. It's free until the end of the week. If you like free, you'll love this. You can download it now free, and all updates and features will always be free. There'll never be ads. There'll never be in-app purchases. So, you know, and then just leave a really nice report uh, with iPhone apps. Again, the name is Simply Zen. It's free this week, and I wish I had an iPhone. I love this thing. When's the last time you took a risk? I mean, a really big risk. What's lurking in the back of your mind that you want to do but are afraid to try? Doesn't matter what the fear is if it holds you back from doing something you want to do. What happens when you step out of what's predictable or step out of your comfort zone? Today we're going to talk about that with Bernadette Murphy, who has written this amazingly good book, called Harley and Me, Embracing Risk on the Road to a More Authentic Life. Bernadette Murphy served for six years as a weekly book critic for the Los Angeles Times. She's published three books of creative nonfiction. She recently published her latest book, Harley and Me, a book I couldn't put down and I highly recommend it. Her story is so compelling, and her, her information on neurobiology is so rich that you'll be really glad you read the book. So, you know, just so you know how I am about books, just go get it. Just go get it. You know, she's the daughter of Irish immigrants and a native Angelino. She currently serves as core faculty in creative nonfiction at the Antioch University, Los Angeles, Master of Fine Arts program, and I am so delighted to welcome Bernadette Murphy to the Self-Improvement Show. Bernadette, I'm so glad you're with us today. Hi, Irene. I'm tickled to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, you you became my role model <laughs> as I read the book. We have so much in common, you know, um, and I'm going to ask you the first question that everybody answers, and then we're going to talk about Harley's. Uh, who is Bernadette Murphy? Um, well, I'm, I'm a, a mother of three young adults. I'm, as you mentioned, an author and a professor of creative writing. More importantly, I'm an advocate for women's self-empowerment, and I'm a risk taker. But I'm not a risk taker because I'm an, an adrenaline junkie. Um, but because I like the sense of self-determination I get when I face down the things that scare me. Oh, yes, and we're going to talk about some of the things that scare you. You were searching for a more authentic life. So let's define some terms. What does an authentic life look like to you? It may not look the same to you as it looks to me. So what are we talking about here? Something that, that feels true to who I am. 
Um, there have been countless times in my life when I've taken a job, I've taken on a role in some way where I can pull it off. I know how to sort of act the act, but I know I'm acting as opposed to when I'm doing things that feel just fundamentally right to me and in a line with who I am as a human, there's a different feeling to that. So my goal these days is to try to have that kind of experience all the time, to do things that feel authentic to who I am and to not be putting on masks and facades um, because it really doesn't serve anything to do that. There are plenty of things I can be good at, but not all of them feel right to me. So I'm going to put my attention and my focus on the ones that um, feel in line with who I am. And let me say that in your book, you put yourself out there. You make yourself so vulnerable. I really appreciate your openness in the book and, and how you worked through things on paper so we could get some help from it. Yeah. Um, very brave to do that. That's not, you. you know, that's not something that is easy for, for many people. Um, what led you to write the book? Um, well, the, the book follows my journey when I started learning to ride a motorcycle. I learned to ride the motorcycle on a fluke. I was um, working on a novel, and my main character was going to ride a motorcycle, so I took a class to learn how to do this. And I thought I would just do it for the weekend and be able to write about the experience accurately, and that would be the end of, of that. And when I took the class, I suddenly found myself loving being on the motorcycle, I was able to have power and grace and brawniness and just these amazing feelings that I didn't expect. And because of that experience, I started thinking, well, if I could live to age 48 and have no idea that I could love a motorcycle, what other things in life might I love that I don't know about? Um, and then because I became interested in um, riding a motorcycle across the country at that point, all the friends and family in my life started looking at me like I was crazy. And they said, you know, are you having a midlife crisis? What is this? Like, cut it out. Um, and I realized that I needed to answer those questions for myself. What was happening to me? Why did I not know this about myself? And what could I learn about this experience that might benefit others? And that's why I wanted to write about it and just get into the neuroscience of what happens to us over time, particularly women in midlife, why risk can be healthy, and yet we spend so much of our lives trying to insulate ourselves from risk, um, and just all the ways that doing something new and different we've never done before is good for us, and it's fun. And it's fun, and you make it sound like so much fun. As I understand from your book, you aren't a great big woman. You're rather no, slight. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm bird-boned, as I call it in the book. Yeah, I'm a very slight woman. I have very little upper body strength. <clears throat> when I was first going to take the class, I couldn't sleep the night before because I kept worrying about how am I going to control this big, heavy thing. I don't have the muscles. And what I found was that it really isn't about muscles. It's about grace and balance, which for me is sort of a metaphor for life. All the stuff I think is going to be really hard and take all this effort Maybe it doesn't take that much effort, but a little grace and balance can get me through it. Yeah, you know, I just kept getting the picture of this great big motorcycle and this little <laughs> tiny lady. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know what? That's a metaphor for living if I ever saw one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in describing exactly. where you live in Los Angeles, you say, we live at the margin of wild and tame. You're talking about Los Angeles, but at the same time, it could be a motto for your book, for your life, for right. all of us who step out and do things that are scary. You know, right, did you intend right. to say that when you described Los Angeles as wild and tame? I don't think I intended that, but it's clearly um, an apt metaphor. I think the whole book focuses on how I went from being tame into being more wild. Um, how I learned to, as they call in, in the Yellowstone Project with the wolves, rewilding myself. Um, find the places in me that could be a little more uh, rugged than I've been before because up until that time in my life, I'd been very um, suburban and very tame. And what happens if we decide we want to we want to push it a little and move a little more into the wild? I keep hearing Eliza Doolittle say, I'm a proper lady, I am. And, and you, 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 you went, um, you know, to 
Well, I'm not saying you're not a proper lady, but in in the book, you really stepped out way out there. You talk about what you wear on the motorcycle, and I thought these two things were so important to where you're going. You said, just walking in the boots gives me attitude. And then you go on to say, dress like this, I no longer look like myself. For the hour or so I plan to ride this morning, I will shed that old identity to become only a body with a set of skills, a person in sync with a precision machine, eating up miles and feeling a very distinct version of joy, the closest I can imagine to what it feels like to fly. Those statements really got me into the the tenor of the Mm. book. Um, And is a pretty good description of what happens, even if you're talking about something else, you put on something that's new and different and makes you feel good, and you can go out and do things you hadn't done before. Exactly. Sometimes we have to fool ourselves into it. So for me, when I would put those boots on and some jeans, and I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I, I've got this attitude that maybe I don't have all the time, but I aspire to having it all the time. So when I pull on those boots, it's like, okay, it's time to, to channel that. Um, and when I channel it, then I find I can do all these things that I would have thought maybe I'm not able to do that. Um, can can you carry permission. this over into other things when you don't have the boots? Oh, yeah. There's so many times that, it, that I don't have the boots that I need to go put them on, you know, um, in dealing with family issues and dealing with problems at work and dealing with emotional hardship. Um, oh, there's so many times that I'm liver lily, you know, I'm totally afraid of so many things. That's one of the reasons I started to um, be attracted to the motorcycle is it gave me access to this version of myself that, that I wanted to have but felt a little bit out of reach. Um, so instead of being the person who's like too timid to ask um, for help or to, you know, flag down the waitress in the restaurant because I don't want to be trouble or, you know, to be that person who is sort of afraid to do things. Um, the sweet little housewife the, type. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I had learned to be the meek little housewife a little too well. Uh, friends joke with me that I'm, I'm the good little girl. And I'd been the good little girl for so long that I didn't know what I legitimately wanted for myself. And so then I put on those boots and I put on a leather jacket and and I can sort of let go of the good little girl to find out what is it I really would like. Uh, I I love that in the book. And, and you know, the book shouldn't be just for women either. And I don't see that it is. Men can learn a great deal from this book. You named your motorcycle Izzy. You call her her and you named her Izzy. You know, why why is it a her and and where did you get the name Izzy? Izzy is short for Isadora and I may have come from Isadora Duncan, I'm not sure. Um, but it was just in the back of my mind as um as a beautiful woman who is also very strong. And as I said, the first time I got the motorcycle to sort of dance on the black top, we were taught to do these figure eights on the motorcycle going very slowly. Um, the first time I could do that with ease, um, it felt like ice dancing to me or what I imagine ice dancing feels like. It was very graceful and yet incredibly strong feeling at the same time. And so the motorcycle was immediately feminine to me. Um, and, uh, you know, she'll always be a, a woman to me, the motorcycle. Which brings me to my next little thing here. You said refusing to be constricted by the typecast of the sexy biker mama or the mm-hmm. hard-ass butch rider is to accept one's true sense of self. And you're coming from the identity of good little housewife and mother. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Well, what's weird is when I first started riding the bike, people were like, well, how can you be riding a bike? You're not a biker chick. Um, yeah. And I thought, well, there's got to be other ways to be in this world than just stereotypes. So if I love a motorcycle, does that mean I have to be a biker chick or a, um, a butch woman? Can't, isn't there something in between? Can't I be the slight woman who is a mother, who is a professor, who is all the things you think of are, that are not related to being a biker chick and still enjoy the motorcycle too. 
Um, and I think it speaks to that um, wild, tame thing we talked about earlier. We think certain things belong in certain categories, and as long as we do that, we're always limiting ourselves. But by saying, look, at I'm, I'm someone who is slight, is a professor, is a mom, is, you know, is a bit of a scaredy cat, and yet I also ride a Harley, um, opens up the, the vista of who I may be. And isn't it freeing to break out of the stereotype? On that note, we need to go to break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Bernadette Murphy saying, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions, some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to, back to the Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Bernadette Murphy, the author of Harley and Me, a wonderful book, a compelling story, and a lot about neurobiology, neuroscience that can be beneficial to each of us uh, as we step out of our comfort zone and do new things. One of the things you talk about, Bernadette, is flow. Mm. What do you see as flow and why is it important Flow is that state we get into when we're doing something and we're so focused on it that everything else disappears. We forget mm-hmm. uh, to eat. Time goes away. Um, and and we feel just in line with who we are. Uh, and it's important because when that happens, that's when we grow. But flow states usually don't happen when we're, like, sitting on a beach uh, you know, with our feet in the water and just breathing deeply. Um, it usually involves some sort of um, effort on our part. So um, if, if you're a swimmer and you're um, competing and it's when your lungs are burning and you're working as hard as you possibly can, um, you are so focused that um, you, you get into the flow state. Writers, when they're um, working on a book or an essay or a poem and get so caught up in what they're doing, they get into the flow state. And I think that's sort of one of the highest levels of, of humanity we can get, and it's just so satisfying when we get there. It's a, it's, to me, it's a spiritual experience when I ever get yeah. there. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it is. It's... Um, it's absolutely wonderful and something that you'd like to experience over and over. And you know, unfortunately, some of us don't experience it that often. You call yourself a neophiliac, and that was a new term to me. Yeah. Talk yeah. about neophilia and why you consider yourself a ne- neophiliac. Uh, so, uh, neophilia is the desire for new and novel experiences. Um, neophobia the other end of the extreme, which are people who are afraid to have new experiences. So we all fall somewhere on this continuum between neophilia and um, neophobia. Um, I think for much of my life, I was more on the neophobia side. 
um, doing something as simple as going to the movies and handing over my ticket to the ticket taker and having to look someone in the eye and say hello used to scare me so much that, that I'd almost not go to the movies to avoid having to do that, you know. Um, but, but as I've aged, the uh, neophilia side of me is getting bigger because when I started doing things that I didn't know how to do and that scared me, the sense of um, self-determination and joy and self-empowerment that I got when I did those things made me want more of that. And so as a result, I've gone from someone who was afraid to do something very simple and very straightforward to someone who's now regularly engaging uh, risky activity. I, I've learned to rock climb and ice climb. I've learned to ski recently. I've got, been going scuba diving. I've been uh, open the sea uh, canoeing, um, doing things like that because I find that as I do that, my um, sense of myself gets bigger. And my sense of what's possible for me gets bigger. And so as I've done that, I've moved more to the um, neophilia side and have realized that I'm someone who thrives on new and novel experiences, even if they scare me. Because so many people think if you're a uh, neophiliac that you are someone who um, just always wants something new, 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 new all the time. And that isn't necessarily true. I can be scared of it and yet find that there's a great benefit in um, wrestling with that fear, negotiating with it, and sort of triumphing over it. Yeah, and you write that so well. I became your cheerleader when you were when you were scuba diving and so afraid of it. I'm thinking, you can do this. I've never done it. I'd love to do it. Uh, and I would be afraid as well because there you yeah. are way deep underwater. And I'm thinking, you can do this. <laughs> you can do this. You Thank said you. in your book, you, you wrote this, and it really touched me because I can identify with this, and I know many people who can, you you ask yourself, who do you think you are that you should deserve this? You know, yeah. this joy, this wonderful feeling that you were experiencing doing some of the things you did. Have you right. gotten over this now? Do you deserve it? I deserve it a lot more frequently now than I did before. <laughs> I think it's a lifetime job that I'll always be working on. Whether it is a... Um, a social construct that women are sort of taught that we're there to serve other people and not to have joy ourselves, um, but to get joy through bringing it to other people. That's probably part of it for me, but I'm not sure that that's all of it. Um, but over time, I've gotten to the place where I recognize that when I do things that make me joyful, I have more to share with everybody, that the well of who I am just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So by denying myself that joy or thinking I don't deserve it and that I should just facilitate it for someone else, um, I rob myself and other people of more of the joy I might have shared with them. And so um, when I look at it that way, I, I have an easier time embracing the things I really, really want to do. Um, we weren't raised to think we deserved anything. You came from a Catholic background, and there's a lot right. of sin involved there. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot, a lot of sin, and yeah. a lot of guilt, and yeah. you know, to come forward from that yeah. is really quite a remarkable feat in self-awareness. Thank you. I mean, and earlier you asked the question about authenticity. What is it? And I think that you're hitting on it there. To sort of just really authentically own not what society or my upbringing tells me I should be or how I should behave. But what, what, how, how can I engage in the world and the people around me in a way that enhances my life and enhances theirs? And I think there's a way to do that that doesn't mean I'm always serving someone else, but that, um, but that I find my own joy and my own joy becomes contagious. Exactly. And, you know, if we could just get more, I want to say women, but men too, yeah. to realize their own value. Um, yeah. You know, we wouldn't have to say, do you really think you deserve it? Yeah, right. you, you right. do deserve it. Right. You, you, yeah. You, you, and then you go on to say, I finally let loose all the constraints I've placed on myself and see what's really here. Am I able to risk knowing who I really am? That's yeah. a fearful question for a lot of people. 
know, if I really, if and the, you know, the flip side of that one is if, if other people knew who I really am, they probably wouldn't like me. And when I find out who I really am, am I, am I going to like me? Did you exactly. have to wrestle with that part of it? Oh, absolutely, and I still do. When, when I was first working on the book, a number of these pieces appeared as essays um, around in different um, magazines and online places. And the days they would show up, I'd be like cowering because I felt I was so out there and saying this is exactly who I am. This is, um, these are my flaws. These are the ways that I fail myself and the people in my life. And we spend so much of our time trying not to show those things um, that I was terrified that people would see that. But what I found is that we connect with each other in the areas where we have weakness or woundedness. So by being okay and putting that weakness on the page, it turns out more people were interested in um, being in conversation with me because they can say, oh, me too. You just identified something I've long quietly held inside me for fear that someone would know that about me. And you just, um, you know, put it on the page. Wow, it makes me feel empowered to come out and say that, that I share that thing too. And, and I think that's one of the great draws of your book, that mm-hmm. so many people can identify with, with some of your fears and, and, and wish they could make some of the, the choices you made, not necessarily to ride a Harley, but to yeah. do their own thing. And you make that really clear. Hey, you don't have to ride a motorcycle to right. do this. Right. Um, you know, and, and you talk about the family, your family, and how they reacted. And I mean, it wasn't always a positive reaction. Right. And, and, for, and it still isn't always a positive reaction, I'm sorry to say, you know. But that's their problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and um, the reality I've learned is that nobody can rob me of my joy if I choose to have it. Um, I can give it away or I can let you take it from me. But but if, if you want to be disapproving of me, go ahead because I'm going to find my joy anyhow. And there's something really powerful in doing that, that um, to realize that it's not dependent on someone else's um, acceptance of my life or approval of my life for me to approve of my life. And I have to, you know, say that I really, ha- I really came to admire your courage of doing that in the beginning when riding a Harley was such a big change for you, such a challenge for you. Took time away from your usual routine, put everybody on their ear about what you were doing. I mean, I, I could feel the reaction almost of yeah. your your husband and your children. I mean. How how can you do this? Right kind of reaction, and right, and I know you were in turmoil, mm-hmm. trying yeah. to get through doing things that the people around you didn't approve of. I, I you know that it's it's a sisterhood kind of knowing what yeah. that yeah. that's like. Yeah, but the the truth is when we embrace those things that are really core to who we are and decide, you know what, I'm standing for this no matter what. This is important to me. This is part of who I am. I accept it. Now you have to accept it, the people around me. Um, People, you you start to see really clearly who has your back and who doesn't, who's invested in you being fully and completely yourself and who maybe only loves you when you are the person they need you to be as opposed to the yep. person you genuinely are. And it, at, at a certain point when you embrace that and that demarcation is clear, it makes life so much easier because you know, you know who's in your corner. Um, yeah. And you can go, go celebrate things, with them. A couple things are going through my mind here. You know, wh- one thing I try to get people to do is to sit and work through what they believe regardless of what they were taught they had to believe as as a child growing up. What do you believe that you've chosen to believe? I think that's really important. And a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. Well, but I was taught that this is right or this is wrong. Well, yeah, but do you believe it on your own merits, on its merits? And, And my other thing is, what was the most frightening, getting on that huge bike... And knowing 
it could be a lethal weapon, mm-hmm. or standing up for yourself and saying, I'm going to do this because this is what I really want to need to do for me. Uh, both yeah. of those could, uh, right. could bring some, the, some degree of terror. They, they both do. And for me, and this has been sort of the lesson of working on this book, is that um, the terror of doing emotionally strong things is more terrifying than this physical world for me. Um, and it'll be different for every person. So that's why I keep doing things in the physical world because I find it easier to engage in, uh, you know, rock climbing, for example. And then I can feel so empowered from the rock climbing that then I can take a step in my personal life or my emotional life to hold a line that I wouldn't have been able to hold beforehand. So one is feeding the other. And I find it easier to take the physical risks because it sounds stupid, but it's, it's, I'd rather risk my life than sort of risk relationships a lot of times. Um, yeah, it's so sort of I, a holistic thing, though. What you accomplish yeah. in one area affects all of them. So Absolutely. if you, uh, you know, accomplish breaking through a fear on a physical level, it's easier to break through a fear on an emotional or even Absolutely. a spiritual level. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what, so I kept, I, you know, started with the motorcycle and then just kept doing other things that, that I knew I was drawn toward, but I was also afraid of, and then would, would sort of milk the sense of um, power and self-determination I got from that experience and then bring it over into my personal life to be able to stand up for myself, advocate for myself, um, decide I'm going to go after something that gives me joy rather than uh, be serving everyone else all the time. Um, and, and it's worked out. What I find amazing is that my children, who are all in their 20s now, um, have been empowered by my journey. They have looked at me and said, oh, wow, you, you decided that your own um, growth was, was equally important as everyone else's, and therefore we can make those same choices for ourselves. And that's been really fun to see. Oh, that's, uh, that's a wonderful, powerful statement. And, yes, our children do see you doing that um yeah i I remember when my son told me that he wanted me to do a radio show and i said i can't do that and that was six years ago and what joy i've gotten from doing this and it it was my motorcycle yeah yeah (laughs) it was yeah really you 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 did this long trip to milwaukee and when you got there you made this wonderful statement i have finally at long last Learn to wear life like a loose garment, to let yeah. go when things are not falling into place, mm-hmm. to stay alert for new things I wasn't expecting. Yeah. How great is that? <laughs> What's yeah. that like? Um, well, it's such freedom. I had spent my entire life controlling everything, trying to get the chaos you know, under my power trying to make sure everybody was in their place doing their thing so that I could breathe. And the reality is I can't control anyone else. I can't control what's going to happen in the world and what's happening in politics and what's happening all over the place. I can't control any of that. So instead of exerting all this energy trying to make all the pieces line up, what if I just relax and just take it minute by minute, let's see what's happening next, Maybe what I think is going to happen is not what's going to happen, but something even better is going to happen. And instead of me sort of strong-arming the, the world um, into giving me what I'm demanding, to just let go and see what shows up and what kind of blessings and um, delights uh, come along. Because sometimes I cheat myself out of wonderful things that might be coming along because I'm so determined to get what I think I'm supposed to get out of an experience. Isn't it interesting how free we get when we think we're not no longer in need to control the whole yeah. world and everybody yeah. in it right down to our you know last born from our first born. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Here, here's what you have to be and what you have to do and how you have to show up in the world for my benefit, not yours, is really what exactly. we're saying. Exactly. Exactly. So if I can just own this is what I'm going to do for me, then I, ha- I can stop controlling everyone else. 
as long as I thought my happiness was dependent on your um, impression of me and your approval of me, then I had to worry about what you thought all the time. But if my happiness is dependent on my own self-approval, I can stop worrying about what you think, and then you can go do the things you want to do. Exactly. And sometimes it's really, you know, you have to work to give yourself approval. It's not that easy in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, taking little steps, whatever it is, start with small steps and just celebrate the daylights out of every step and say, you know, I didn't think I could do that. Look at I did that. That's like, you know, high five myself, you know, whatever it takes. Absolutely. It's okay to high-five yourself. On that note, we're going to take a break because that's such a positive place to stop for a minute. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Bernadette Murphy saying, stay tuned. We're going to be back with more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Get inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. the self-improvement show with your host dr irene conlon got a question for irene or her guests call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 connect with irene via email our address is the self-improvement blog at gmail.com now let's get back to the self-improvement show here again is dr irene conlon Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. Today we're talking with Bernadette Murphy about risk. She's the author of Harley and Me, a book I really encourage you to get for a number of reasons. Um, How can people find you, Bernadette, if they want to know more, if they have something wonderful for you? My website is Bernadette-Murphy.com. So you can go there. There's a contact me uh, page there and there's um, a bunch of essays and information about my current book and my previous books and my teaching and my book coaching and all kinds of stuff. I would like to sit at your feet for a while. I have a book burning in me, but I don't have the courage to write it. There it is right out there, huh? Uh, You you make this statement. Avoiding risk-taking altogether is actually an unhealthy state for all of us, male and female alike. What are the healthy advantages of risk-taking? What do you get that's healthy from <laughs> walking through that fear? Well, there are so many things. First of all, there's, there's a lot that happens in life that we have no say about. Um, you know, a child gets sick, a parent gets sick, a car accident happens, really bad stuff happens throughout the course of a life, and we have no say about it. But if we have engaged in risk in other parts of our lives, we've learned how to stare down the fear um, and how to stay calm and walk through stuff that scares us. So it's like building up a muscle. If we do things that scare us on a regular basis, and they can be just small things, we start to develop this um, strong, calm way of handling stuff that feels out of control. So when the bad stuff does hit, and it will, you know, we're, we're in a position that like, oh, I remember what I did when I was on the motorcycle and something scary happened. Now I can channel that same um, 
way of being to handle this next thing. That's number one. And the other one is neuroplasticity. You know, um, neuroscientists have recognized um, more recently that our brain continues to grow and develop throughout our lives, not as quickly as it did when we were younger. But when we do something new that we don't know how to do, that it's tapping into a whole new set of skills and we feel like we've got two left thumbs, we are actually developing new neural dendrites where our brain is growing. We're continuing to have it develop and um, be a powerful living organism. When we stop doing those things, um, we start to atrophy. And so the more we do things that we don't know how to do and we engage risk that scares us, the more that neuroplasticity is a chance to kick in and um, make our brains be more vibrant. And we have all those wonderful hormones going on. Talk a little bit about what, you know, what's going on um, with oxytocin and wonderful little things like that. Okay, so I, one of the things I was curious about when I started riding the motorcycle was like, why, why this, why now? You know, I, I felt like I was having this midlife crisis. What explains this? So as I looked into some of the different chemicals um, and hormones that, that uh, make us who we are, I learned that throughout the childbearing years, I was producing a lot of estrogen, which is something that makes women want to caretake for other people. And that I was now at a stage of my life that the estrogen was, was dropping off. I was also getting a lot of oxytocin. That's the cuddle compound, it's called. It's a, a hormone that we produce ourselves when we kiss, when we cuddle, when we pet a dog, when we have sex. All those things create oxytocin. Um, and so I was at the stage of my life where my kids were no longer cuddling and I was in a, a marriage that was deteriorating, so I wasn't getting the oxytocin anywhere. So I wanted to, I started becoming curious, was the motorcycle giving me oxytocin? Because something was, was making me feel very alive, and I knew that the estrogen had dropped and that the oxytocin had dropped. Um, so I actually had my blood taken before and after riding the motorcycle to look at a few chemicals. One was oxytocin, and we found, in fact, that my oxytocin did leap when I was riding the motorcycle, probably because I was having sort of a cuddly relationship with myself. Um, which is, you know, an interesting way to look at it. Uh, we also found that the uh, cortisol, that the chemical we produce when we're in fear, actually dropped a little bit because I felt a sense of control on the motorcycle. I felt comfortable enough on it. Um, and that my testosterone level did rise a little bit, but only just a little bit, not as much as we thought it would help. And all of those are good-feeling things, you know. And you, you know, I, I loved that part when you described that. I, I really would have expected the, the cortisol to go up right. because it's, you know, because of the way I react about a motorcycle. It's not something that I, well, I'm too old to do that now anyway. Trust me, I really am. Um, not just saying that. Um, one, one of the things you said, and I love this. You don't want to be perfect anymore. You no, want to be alive, no. and failure is the yeah. way to get there. Talk a little Absolutely. bit about how failure is the way to be alive. So my favorite quote is from Samuel Beckett, and it's, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And my goal these days is not to be good at anything, not to be the best at anything, but just to keep failing better. Um, because when I take off the requirements that I'd be good at something, I find there's all these wonderful things I can do. For instance, I um, started running a number of years ago, uh, and I was terrible at it. I'm not fast. I'll never be a good runner. I'm, I'll never be, you know, someone that, that wins a medal, even, you know, a hundredth place. I'm just never going to be that person. But I had a great fun doing it. So my old thinking was, well, if I'm not good at it, well, I shouldn't do it. I'm, like, embarrassed to not be good at it. So I should just forget that. And I realized that I, I was having too much fun to forget it, so that it was okay to not be good at it, and I can still do it. So if it's something that gives me joy, I get to do it. Um, and if it's something that I think might give me joy if I put enough work in, even though it terrifies me at, at first, I get to do it, and I can forget about being good or the best or talking someone else or seeing how I rank 
as a person who does this thing. And when I let go of that and just decide I'm just going to fail a little bit better today, uh, it's, it's amazing how that sort of wearing life as a loose garment we talked about earlier, how that just becomes easier to do. It, it's not about trying to prove anything anymore. It's about I'm going to have this experience and we'll see what the experience tells me and no judgment. And it was the no judgment that my mind was going to. And I, it would seem to me that when you stop being in judgment of yourself and what you're good at and not good at, you really can drop being judgmental of anybody else. Bingo, bingo. That's, I mean, that's like the secret of life. <laughs> it is, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. I've been so judgmental of myself my entire life. And as long as I was judgmental of myself, I was busy judging you just as much, even if I didn't tell you about it, which put me in a perpetual state of discomfort. I was always wanting people to be different, myself included. And now to just say, I'm going to do this because I'm going to have fun at it and no judgment, then I can stop worrying about what you're doing and judging you. And we all get along better when that happens. I bet your kids are very pleased about that change. (laughs) (laughs) I, th- I think they are. I think they are. I think, I think they wish I had learned that when they were younger. <laughs> I, I wish I had too. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things we wish, you know, uh, the old saying hindsight is twenty twenty" is really so true. It you is. Know, especially it is. when we came from a background of wanting to be perfect and have everybody right. around you be perfect. And, oh, my God, if you're not perfect, then what? Um, and and you can come through that. I mean, that's as major an advancement as being able to ride a Harley or, you know, do whatever it is that that you fear the most. I mean, what about, you know, great progress? You know, to drop the judgment is so freeing. You know, you talk about there's no them, there's only me. You, You get away from the them and us um, I don't need to prove myself as a valuable, but simply believe that I am. Yeah. yeah. How freeing is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just... Um, it's, it's an inside job is what I've been told, you know, that all this um, thinking we can get what we crave as human beings to see and be seen, to really be known, to be... Um, found acceptable, to be found worthy, to be found lovable, um, is never something we're going to get from someone else. And to to recognize that and decide, oh, I have the power to give myself that. Why don't I just give it to myself and see what happens? And, and you know, that's, a, that's amazing growth when you yeah. get there. What would you say was your greatest um, achievement in all of this? What are you the most proud of? <sighs> Knowing that it's okay to be proud of yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm most proud of the relationship that has grown with my children as a result of the risk-taking I did and the um, admitting all the places I'm flawed. Uh, and I had spent a long time trying to sort of be perfect for them and recognizing that um, they don't want a perfect mother, they want a human mother, Um, and letting them in on my struggles and not feel like I'm burdening them, I'm just being human with them. And um, that has created a really beautiful relationship with the three of them and has given them permission to fail, given them permission to not be perfect, given them permission to be authentic, um, even when it might upset other people. Myself included. How did they respond to the book? Because you're so open in the book. You're, you're so sometimes brutally honest yeah, about where they, you've been. They seem to love it. Um, they have been getting their friends to buy it or getting buying copies for their friends and their friends' parents. Um, they've been... Um, they're very proud of me, and I'm honored by that. They have also grown up with me writing about them. You know, this is my fourth book, and I, there's usually some elements of my personal life that shows up in everything I write. So they've been written about their entire lives, so they don't get hung up on that, thankfully. And um, But if I ever write about things that are sort of close to the bone from their lives, I always check with them first because I don't want to be... Um, 
telling things out of, it's one thing for me to be self-revealing about my own life, but it would be a different thing to be doing that about their lives without their consent. Absolutely. Do any, have any of them taken up riding motorcycles? Um, to my, both my boys are, are um, licensed to ride motorcycles, and the three of us have gone riding together, and we've had fun with that. My daughter thinks I'm insane, um, although she <laughs> bungee jumps and jumps out of airplanes, so, you know, go figure. <laughs> yeah, when I read that, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'd rather get on a Harley than jump out of a plane. Yeah, uh, so would I. One of the so things you say that I just found so wonderful is, We're here to learn and expand and grow. The only way that happens is when life challenges us. Life isn't about finding a safe place, getting all our details nailed down, and then holding it all like a tableau stuck in time. It's about chance and risk and failing better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, unfortunately, right up to the end of the show and I'm going to ask you to expand on that and I'll ask you the last question which is what's the thought you want to leave with our audience today? I would ask your audience to ask themselves what is the activity or experience they might fall in love with if they gave themselves permission to try it and once they've identified that to ask themselves what's stopping you from doing it and is there a small step towards that thing you could take today? And if so, just totally go for it. Just try it out and have, just have an experience. You don't have to be good at it. Just go have an experience. Just go have an experience. The book, again, is called Harley and Me, Embracing Risk on the Road to a More Authentic Life. Uh, you can get this on Amazon. I'm sure it's in all the major bookstores. Yeah. Um, I just say get this book. It it's down to earth. It's inspiring. It's you know somebody that you can you can know that this was not easy for her and she did it, um, mm-hmm. and you can do it too. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's just. You write so well, and the book is so good. I just wish everybody could could read it. Uh, I'm going to pass it on to my daughter-in-law. She'll absolutely mm. love it and love Great. you. Uh, <laughs> and Thank and you, Irene. really hard for me to say goodbye because there's so many things I'd like to ask you and so many things to talk about with you. But unfortunately, we're at the end of the show. So thank you for having me on. I've so enjoyed it. I I have enjoyed it too. I'm delighted, um, and you know, have a wonderful time with all of the things that you're doing and 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 the enjoyment that you found. This thank is you. Irene Conlon and my guest Bernadette Murphy saying thank you so much for being with us today. Come back again next week for more of the Self Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.